Today I'm chatting with musical theater composer and lyricist Adam Guan. Taking a class on lyric writing with Adam changed my life about five years ago. I even write about it in my new book, Do It Today. So how do musicals get made? Adam will tell you it starts with a hook. We also talk about finding routine and structure and the best writing advice he received from Lynn Ahrens. I just sort of assumed that it was a busy time for you because I was like, I know Adam has projects. I know he's <laughs> I know he's doing stuff. And you're also just so good at talking about process and where things are, where they're going. I, I always just point to you as someone I learned so much from. I was like, I got to call Adam up and just see what you're doing today. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. What's going on today? Today, I actually have a daunting task on my plate today. So maybe it's good to talk it out with you in this podcast. Yeah, let's do it. So I've been working on this new musical I, that I got hired to work on, which uh, is an adaptation of a film, which a lot of musicals are these days. Today, I am trying to tackle the first big sequence song that I'm writing for this musical. I've written probably four or five songs for the show so far, but they've all been, you know, solos and duets, relatively small numbers. And so I'm trying to tackle the first kind of big, like production number type song in the show. Um, and it's daunting. And are you doing music and lyrics on this one? I'm doing music and lyrics, yes. So you don't have anyone to bounce an idea off of? It's true. I, that's part of what's difficult about it. You know, sometimes the song idea is right at the front of your brain and I kind of just know exactly what to do and I just have to sit down and do it. And other times the idea is not so clear and takes really takes some kind of fishing and digging and figuring out. And, and that's hard to do on, on your own, I think. And a sequence song sounds especially challenging because it's something that's going to be moving a lot, right? Like there's going to be a lot yeah. of people coming in, a lot of action, a lot of voices. Do you normally visualize all those things when you're writing? Yeah. And I do try to envision, you know, what physically might be happening on stage during these kinds of songs. Because I think, you know, when you're writing for the stage, you always have to have in the back of your mind that other things are going to be happening during these songs. You know, a choreographer is going to come in and figure out what people are doing physically. A set designer might have, you know, set pieces coming in and out. The physical life of the song is always in my mind somewhere. Often, especially with these big songs that do, like you say, move quite a bit, I will actually build into the song what I think the movement is, even if ultimately the decider what the movement is will come in and change it and make the movement something different. I feel like my building the idea of movement into a song at least gives that person a starting place to take it and make that element of it their own. And, uh, you know, I don't want to scare you too much on this, but how are you <laughs> going to tackle this? Um, do you start with a, a hook? What is the first thing that you're going to do? I think that hook idea is really the key for me for this one, because with songs this big that have to travel around and accomplish so much, I really feel like having a, a solid foundation of it is the hardest thing to figure out. And once that is set, it becomes really fun and really easy to build on top of that foundation. But for me, finding that foundation, which I think is the lyric hook, you know, the central idea, the central phrase that everything can be built off of. That for me, for this song in particular, but I think big sequence songs in general, that is the real challenge. Because of course, I have so many fun, sparky ideas about like the curtains I want to hang and the color I want to paint the walls and all of these fun little details, but I don't know how it all 
fits together yet. And so the foundation of it is the big thing that I think will take some doing. So when you're trying to write a hook, are you sitting at the piano? Are you working out musical phrases at the same time you're working on lyrical phrasing? I do a little bit of both. Sometimes I'll be at the piano because I do music and lyrics myself. Most of the time, I very rarely think of a lyric that doesn't have some kind of melody attached to it and vice versa. I rarely think of a melody that doesn't have some kind of lyric attached to it. So when I'm thinking of lyric books, even if I'm kind of focused in the front of my brain on the words of it, whenever those words come, they have some kind of music attached to them. So sometimes I'm at the piano and just noodling around and seeing what words comes to the front of my brain as I'm playing different melodies. Sometimes it's a big sequence like this, where a lot of times the lyric hook has to be malleable enough to cover all the different parts of song that you want to have happen because a big sequence is going to cover like point A, point B, point C, point D. And you need a kind of phrase that can work in the context of each of those situations. So in those instances, I will literally, you know, sit with a legal pad and make lists of interesting words, interesting images, just kind of try to see if something eventually clicks and I feel like can take me through this entire moment that I want the song to cover. Do you have a deadline out for this song that you need to get it to someone? Or is this all kind of self-imposed madness? Um, I do have collaborators and a producer waiting for the song. While there's no particular date attached to it, I am going out of town in like two and a half weeks. So I'm hoping that like before then I'll have a full pass of this thing that I can send to my collaborators. The foundation for me is really the trickiest part. And once that is in place, the process becomes much more fun and much more free to me. Like once the foundation is in place, my brain is just playing, you know, as I'm walking to the supermarket, as I'm riding the subway, like then it becomes really fun just to like build on top of that foundation. When rhyme brain kicks in, that's always exactly, my favorite. Exactly, yes. It's the fun part. Do you find, this is going to sound like a crazy question, but do you find writing pleasurable? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I find the idea generation part, which I think is what I'm talking about in this like foundation building, like what's the sort of central idea of what I'm trying to, to accomplish. That is the scary hard part for me. And then filling in the details is the very, very fun part for me. And I love that part. So once I have an idea that I feel like is a good one, then I think it's fun. But a lot of times getting to the idea is torture. You had mentioned that you were just coming out of an out-of-town workshop and a production. How were those days for you when you were juggling those projects that were probably years in the making that you finally seen them come to fruition? I mean, it sounds like a completely different day-to-day -day life. Yeah, it's a completely different energy and very structured, which I loved. I feel very productive when I'm in a structured situation. The production and the workshop were happening at the same time, but I was able to separate my participation in them so that I was only focused on one at a time because I knew that if I was trying to juggle work on both projects simultaneously, it would never happen. The production was an interesting scenario because it was actually something that was written during the pandemic and it was a project that hired 
five different songwriters to each contribute a few songs that were all then put together into a full show. So we had done a bunch of workshops of that leading up to this production. But because I had only contributed a few songs, I kind of went to some rehearsals at the beginning and then had this workshop. It was supposed to happen in 2020. So it had sort of been on the books and finally able to happen this year because of the pandemic. So I was able to come to this workshop, focus my attention on the workshop for the two and a half weeks that it lasted and then went back to the production. Like I said, it was all very structured because you're in rehearsals with the actors and the director and everyone. So that's like a fixed part of the schedule. The production was in San Diego and the workshop was in Minneapolis. And something that I love about traveling westward is that I can become a morning person for a little while because I'm not a morning person on the East Coast. And it's the best. Our housing was like right on the Mississippi River in Minneapolis. I would get up early in the morning, go for a run across this beautiful bridge on the Mississippi River, come back, do rewrites and work on the show, then go to rehearsals, which I think started at like 11 or noon, have a whole day of rehearsal. Then we would meet with the director and the creative team after rehearsal to talk about changes. And then I just repeat the cycle all over again. And I love that kind of structure and focus and, and kind of knowing exactly what needed to be accomplished and the time that I had to do it in, which is a very different mode than the kind of generative mode that I'm now in, which doesn't have that kind of structure kind of by definition, like you just have to wade through it and discover it of its own volition. I loved coming from that structured, productive kind of mode. How do you judge whether a production or a workshop is successful in your mind? Mm, that's a great question. I think the greatest measure of success for me comes from my collaborators. Like that's kind of why I get into it in the first place is like, I want to work with these people and, you know, be inspired by their creativity and figure out how our voices come together and make something new. So I think that's like the first most primary measure of success. And then for a production, of course, there are audiences. And that's the magical thing about theater is like everyone gathers and has this communal experience together. And so there is this kind of magical feeling when everything comes together and you feel like something resonates with an audience in a certain way. Whenever you come back from something like this, you know, a production that could lead to another, you know, larger production or a move to a different state or theater or the next step with a workshop, like how do you judge what's going to happen next? Or is that sometimes out of your hands? I think it's largely out of your hands. And I think specifically in with the two projects that I just came from working on, they both have producers attached to them. So like, the, the ball is kind of in someone else's court to figure out what's next and to make it happen, uh, which is very different from a project that does not have a producer attached because then you, the, the writer, the creators really have to take that ball and, and run with it. So that's kind of a different thing where like you do have to figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? What's the next opportunity to continue the life of this piece? So for better and for worse, I think these two particular projects 
the ball is currently in someone else's court, which on the one hand is a huge relief that I don't have to deal with that as much. On the other hand, you feel kind of antsy and nervous because you aren't in control of what's happening next and you can only kind of sit back and hope for the best. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, but it is what it is. Did you experience or have you ever experienced what I call the post-marathon blues? Like you're working and working for this one moment and it happens, you know, the show opens or you run the race and then you're left with that really uncomfortable feeling of what's next. Yeah, for sure. And I think it hits really hard with theater because it only lives when you're in the room with it. And it can so easily feel like it has completely evaporated. Did it even ever exist <laughs> once you once you leave that room? I think that's why I always enjoyed juggling multiple projects, because when one ended, there's always something to come back to, even if the post-marathon blues is tugging at your shirt tails, at least you can go back and work on something and hope that one day you'll be in the room with this new thing. So yeah, it's kind of that strange cycle of hope and then it disappears and you hope to the next one and then it disappears. <laughs> you always have such good advice for students that you've taught over primary stages and elsewhere. I was just wondering if you could recall some of the really important writing advice you received when you were, you know, if you could think back to 22-year-old Adam, is something that is that is really stuck with you? You know, something that resonated with me and continues to resonate with me is the idea of trusting that the audience for your work is out there and that the things that you are writing about and the things that you are interested in and excited about will be interesting and exciting to other people, even if it doesn't feel like it at the moment. <laughs> I think it was Lynn Aaron that actually told me that advice. She, she and, and Stephen Flaherty, they ran this fellowship program that I was a part of, which is kind of like a, a writer's group type thing for young writers. And that was one thing that I think Lynn said that really stuck with me. You're interested in writing this thing for a reason and other people are going to see that reason. You have to trust that and write what excites you and write what you're interested in. And it will find people who are also interested in that thing. Man, it really always comes back to Lynn. I feel like all of yes. the advice, everyone's like, you know who told me that? It was it was Lynn Aarons. Looking at the sort of work that you've done and that it seems like you're drawn to, it does feel like musicals that are a little more serious or that illuminate some part of the human experience that mm. kind of dive a little bit deeper. Do you have that sense of wanting to say something with your musicals when you write them? Or is it just following what is interesting to you at the moment? I think it's that I'm drawn to writing to actually figure out stuff and illuminate things on a very personal level in my own life. So the things that I get interested in tend to have these kinds of questions that gnaw at me, that I, Adam Guan, the individual, am curious, like, what's the answer to this question? So for me, it's less about, I don't, I never go into a musical saying like, you know, I want to illuminate this message for the world. It always starts from a very, very personal place. But I think what you're talking about is, is absolutely in there because it's those kinds of things that draw me into a story or a project on a very personal level. And so it finds its way into what I write. 
you worked with some absolutely incredible performers. Do you ever write with a performer in mind or, you know, a potential casting idea? Or are you just writing for the character in a kind of amorphous way? I definitely tend to picture people as the characters as I'm writing, not necessarily in a, oh, I think we should cast this person kind of way, but as a kind of template for the type of person that this character is. So sometimes it's not even actors that I picture in a part. Sometimes it could be, you know, someone I know or someone out in the world that's not a performer. But it does help me to think of the characters as actual people as opposed to amorphous ideas of characters. You do have a very big day planned. And so I was wondering, while you're working on these hook ideas, how good is your memory when you're writing something in the moment, you're in that like free-flowing generative state? Are you writing everything down that you're coming up with? Or do you ever record, you know, snippets of things and then go back to them the next day? Basically, how do you remember when the good ideas come? Um, I do both of those things, especially these days. I feel like in my in my youth, I used to have a better memory and I would just remember things and I would say, I have this great melody in my head and I'm going to go to sleep. And if it's a good memory, I'll remember it when I wake up and I would. But these days I would say, this is a great melody. I'm going to remember it forever. And then five minutes later, I have no idea what it was. So <laughs> I... I record lots of things. I have voice memos up the wazoo. I have notes apps up the wazoo. These days I write down everything because I will forget it if I do not. Oh my gosh. Are you, would you say you're like an organized person? Funnily enough, I feel like I'm more organized in my life outside of writing than in the actual writing process. My writing process involves, you know, scribbling in margins, scribbling on envelopes and like just a, a severe lack of organization. When in fact, I think I am actually a very organized person in general outside of that. So I don't know what that means psychologically. My writing process is a mess, but my life outside of that is pretty organized. <laughs> Well, th I think that just means it's a self-contained mess for this yes. one this one little important part of your life. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I'll let you get to it. And I can't wait to hear this hook on stage sometime oh, in the future. You and me both. Have a great day. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you.